Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor, Foresight Health. It is Thursday, July 20th. Things are pretty quiet in my neighborhood. It's that sweet spot between the end of summer baseball season and the start of football practices for all the kids around here. Everyone with school-age kids is on vacation. As I move into the cranky old man phase of my life, I'm really enjoying this. Then I have to practice saying, get off my lawn. I can't wait. What I can wait for is artificial intelligence taking over my job until I retire. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's show, how AI will impact the labor market, courtesy of a new report from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD. To tell us whether AI is gunning for their jobs are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? On this day, 54 years ago, we landed on the moon. As a boy, I remember looking up at the moon that very evening and just being blown away that there were human beings there. And we can't fix healthcare. Come on, people. <laughs> I do remember where I was. My family and I were at this Hawthorne Melody Farms, which was like a dairy farm, but carnival kind of a thing. And the whole place stopped and they put it over the loudspeaker. So did the cow jump over the moon? <laughs> I think they stopped producing milk that day. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Julie, how are you? I am well. Taylor Swift is coming to town this weekend and we are getting out of town this weekend. And I'm I'm a little, I don't know, I'm having a hard time. Should I stay? Should I go? It's going to be quite a transition for Seattle. Oh, so you're not going to the concert. Not going to the concert. All right. You're not a Swifty. Or maybe you are a Swifty, but... Uh, I didn't say that. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we talk about how AI will affect the labor market, let's talk about how it could affect your jobs. Dave, do you think a machine can do what you do? Well, it can certainly do some of the things that I do. Uh, anything involving computation and pattern recognition. actually can't wait for machines to do even more of that. What they can't do yet is match my incredibly good looks and a proven ability to synthesize. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll leave that there, too. Thanks, Dave. Julie, do you worry about waking up one day to find out you've been replaced by a machine? So I've thought a lot about this. And honestly, I'm already trying to use generative AI for some of the simple things that I do functionally. But I built my career on building community and relationships and experience. So there are certainly elements of all that that cannot be replaced by AI, which is good. I feel like I've got some job security there for a while. Yeah, no, I'm not uh, so worried about my current work streams, but I do worry about work opportunities in the future. You know, I'm reading more about business writers losing their gigs as their clients switch to AI to save money and are willing to accept lower quality work. So that's pretty scary for what I do. Okay, let's talk about this scary OECD employment outlook for 2023 and beyond. The report is based on a survey of more than 5,000 workers and 2,000 employers in the finance and manufacturing sectors of the economies in seven OECD countries, including the U.S. 
The report is not specific to healthcare or the U.S., but I think there's a lot in the report for healthcare in the U.S. Here are some of the top-line findings. 60% of workers say they are worried about losing their job to AI, but only 27% of all occupations are at significant risk of being replaced by AI. So there's a gap there uh, between perception and reality. The three occupations at highest risk of being replaced by AI are business professionals, managers, and chief executives. Now, I've met a lot of CEOs and present company excluded. I'm not surprised with that one. At the same time, 63% of workers say they enjoy doing their jobs more because of AI. So it does sound like some people actually like working with AI. So Dave, let me ask you this. What percentage of jobs in healthcare are at significant risk of being replaced by AI? What healthcare positions do you think are most at risk? And where do you see the best use of human-machine collaboration in healthcare? Well, Dave, my favorite stat from the OECD report is the one you said, that over 80% of CEOs, managers, and engineers' jobs are at risk, 80%. My favorite finding was the lack of relevant skills is a barrier to using AI you think that people want to go hit the books a little bit and build up their skill set here, get off the couch? Seems like there's an opportunity. But before we start hyperventilating here too much, let's acknowledge two core truths. We always see the jobs going away, not the new jobs that come into the marketplace as a result of the technology advancing. You know, I remember when I was first starting out, there were key punch operators and travel agents, lots of them none to be found now. Very few data analysts. Every time you turn over a rock, there's a new data analyst these days. So just remember, jobs go away, but new jobs come in. And there'll be a lot of new jobs with the new types of technology capabilities that are coming into the marketplace. And secondly, is this profound technology paradox that as new technology comes into the marketplace, productivity often declines And so it doesn't have the huge impact initially that people think. It just takes time for systems, companies, people to master the new technology, often as long as a decade. So having said that, the pace of change is increasing. And I've always liked the Andreessen Horowitz observation that great software eats the middle. I mean, just think of all the intermediaries in healthcare We have brokers, benefits administrators, PBMs, consultants, revenue cycle management professionals. The list goes on and on. Might be as much as 10% of the overall U.S. workforce. So we definitely need, as an industry, to disintermediate the intermediaries. To the extent AI can help do this, you know, more power to the technology. But since we're talking about change and specifically change in healthcare, let me read for you both and for the audience, a passage that Fortune magazine wrote in 1970 under a commentary with the title, It's Time to Operate. Just get a load of this. Much of U.S. medical care, particularly the everyday business of preventing and treating routine illnesses, is inferior in quality, wastefully dispensed, and inequitably financed. Medical manpower and facilities are so maldistributed that large segments of the population, especially the urban poor and those in rural areas, 
get virtually no care at all, even though their illnesses are most numerous and in a medical sense, often easy to cure. Whether poor or not, most Americans are badly served by the obsolete, overstrained medical system that has grown up around them helter-skelter. The time has come for radical change. That was 1970. We can apply these very words verbatim to healthcare 2023. So just think for a moment of redirecting all the waste that's currently embedded in the healthcare delivery system and putting it into community-based health networks and all the new value-creating jobs that that move would create in terms of nutritionists and health coaches and better physical therapy and more behavioral health therapists and so on and so on. So I do think we're going to see a lot more jobs and we'll see the jobs when we finally come to terms with this just ridiculous financing and distribution system that we've set up well over half a century ago, well before we landed on the moon, and that we haven't changed since. In terms of the biggest opportunity, and I've talked about this before on the show, I believe it's in much better diagnostics, diagnosing disease much earlier, much more effective interventions. And I think that has the possibility to completely disrupt the current way we practice medicine. But finally, remember, 54 years ago, people, we landed on the moon. We can fix healthcare. It's in our power to do so. Let's just get it done. It's time. It blows my mind that somebody wrote that 53 years ago. Yeah. Isn't that unbelievable? Just cut and paste, right? Unbelievable. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? Well, Dave, you kind of hit on some of this, but, you know, the last decade of discussion in healthcare is about upskilling staff. It's really been about administrative staff. Mm -hmm. But AI is pushing us really quickly towards the need to upskill like a much broader swath of clinical staff and some of our most educated and frankly, most powerful specialists also. So how does healthcare prepare a workforce for the kind of change that's coming this way? Well, the short answer to the question is that the specialists who get a disproportionate share of the healthcare dollar in terms of very high salaries and other forms of compensation need to up their game like everyone else to remain relevant in the marketplace. I mean, just think about radiologists before AI, even before our incredible ability to use machine learning to do pattern recognition, there was a real question about the ability of machines to read images more effectively than people to spot things, small changes that the human eye couldn't see to run the analytics so that we could correlate those small changes with likelihood of contracting a chronic disease. You know, fast forward to today with the massive computing qualities, the much better imaging capabilities, the remarkably enhanced ability to do pattern recognition. And what have the radiologists done in response to all this? It's not like they've figured out how to work more effectively with the machines. They mostly use their market muscle and lobbying power to restrict the technology from coming in and disrupting their very lucrative profession. So the answer is for all of us to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And too many of the types of people you're describing, Julie, just are sitting back enjoying the largesse of society because they take it from us not because they're creating value. And I've just, I'm just tired of it. If they aren't going to willfully or willingly participate in improving this healthcare system, then it's time to take away their privilege. 
Wow. Yeah. Great answer, Dave. Thank you. Julie, where do you put the percentage of healthcare jobs that AI could replace? What tasks and functions in healthcare do you think AI could and should replace? And are uh, tech startups targeting the right tasks and functions with AI, or are they missing the best targets? Yeah, you know, Dave just mentioned Andreessen Horowitz, Mark Andreessen. You know, they believe that technology empowers all of us to be more productive, which translates into economic and job growth. And that if technology is just allowed to flourish, that that's like a, a constant upward cycle because we as humans want more and technology is the way we get it. And hence, there'll never be any job destruction. You know, that's the that's the Pollyanna that, frankly, I hear a lot of people talk about. And McKinsey actually published this great report that looked at how AI could add the equivalent of 2.6 trillion to 4.4 trillion annually to the GDP. By the way, the UK's annual GDP in 2021 was 3.1 trillion, right in the middle of that. So like, you know, they're projecting some big numbers for GDP growth. And I'm with Dave, like when you think about it, we didn't have digital marketing as a function or data scientists or user interface researchers or, or managers, social media analysts, like we didn't have these positions, right? So we have already witnessed this in our history. But I do think that we as humans are never going to get everything we need out of AI for utilities like food and housing and transportation. We're always going to want more experiences like leisure. And, you know, by the way, we still buy natural diamonds, even though we could actually have the same equivalent product in a man-made diamond. So there are these premium industries that will always exist. But the way I think about this and why I think specialists in healthcare are so at risk for this is that AI is different in you know, one way, most tech has really helped automate our way out of a lot of blue collar jobs in the past. And everyone's really freaking out because AI is like Dave said, really focusing on the knowledge workers and the creatives, like identifying, pattern matching, optimizing. So that's creating this angst. And to get to healthcare, McKinsey has a great, you know, way of looking at this in terms of looking at the first, second, and third order effects. And the first order is really focused on administrative and kind of non-clinical uses. And then as things progress with how the data improves, how workforce competencies shift as a result, we can start to really transition into those future use cases with a lot more intense clinical focus. And of course, potentially higher risk for what you know AI is doing there without humans or with much fewer or less human interaction. So first of all, I guess very few of the innovators really love to focus on the stuff that's boring, right? And the boring stuff is our 30% of administrative waste. There's so much excitement for the clinical. But I will say, if you just think about like the corporate functions, IT, procurement, talent, finance, I mean, legal, fundraising, there are massive AI improvements in just those super boring areas that so few companies really want to focus on. But if you start to look at like continuity of care, you know, getting network and market insights, being able to auto-generate provider segmentation, you know, by specialty, things that we don't do today in hospitals, so much of clinical operations, there are things that can be done today to just you know, focusing on discharge summaries or instructions or synthesizing care coordination notes and other things that 
can be done today that don't put us at risk for what AI is doing to diagnose and treat a person. But of course, there's the clinical analytics everyone loves to talk about, right? Quality and safety, not a lot of focus there, but there could be a ton of focus there to actually reduce a lot of expense that goes into quality and safety today. So, you know, whether it's value-based care and how that transitions with AI or finally using AI to understand who our consumers are, who are a best fit for our business or how to grow into certain consumer segments. You know, we're doing this kind of thing today with digital marketing, but hospitals aren't using that as a business function. So, so much of where some of the innovators are focusing or, or can focus on the more administrative side, it's just literally not part of our, our arcane business. But the brilliant ones see nothing but clinical promise. The smart yet practical ones will start with our 30% administrative waste. And we're certainly not in balance, but that's kind of a very normal part of the process of how innovation happens in these big cycles. Great, great analysis. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? My question or what I worry about is that we can't incrementally improve a fundamentally broken system. I mean, I just read that passage from... Fortune magazine from 1970. And you'd think that we would have seen this type of productivity improvement in healthcare if there wasn't something else going on. So I'm wondering if there isn't um, a cart before the horse problem in healthcare. You know, technology, after all, can improve our ability to dig holes and fill them back up with rocks, but that doesn't really do anything. Are we wasting our time discussing these mind-blowing new technologies in healthcare when we aren't willing to challenge the industry's artificial economic models to pay for activity, not quality, that place a premium on process over outcomes? Well, health systems, I mean, there's a whole separate commentary on health plans, but they need growth. Like you talk to health systems today growth and revenue and operational efficiencies are top of their list, right? So if we can just channel the business pain that healthcare is feeling and take advantage of AI to solve some of that business pain, I mean, there's a ton that could really happen here. We're in a capitalist healthcare system. So we can take advantage of changing the business models over time, but we, we could also just take advantage of the technology to solve today's business problems. Your long-term question still remains, how does reimbursement really change? And can you make actually the administration of reimbursement cheap enough that it doesn't matter? Mm-hmm. Or does it really need to change? That's probably the biggest way I think about your question. Okay. Yeah, given the size of the revenue cycle market, Dave, which... <laughs> Experts are working on as we speak. That would be a hell of a place to start. That's great. Now let's briefly talk about other news that happened this week. Uh, It wasn't all bad, was it? Julie, what else happened that's worth mentioning today? Well, I'm sure you two saw this, but the 2024 Medicare Physician Fee Schedule proposal came out. And I mean, the headline might as well be behavioral health and telehealth win and specialists lose. And I mean, CMS has packed a lot in this in ways that are really impressive, honestly. You know, expanding integrated mental health services as part of primary care in material ways, allowing mental health counselors, marriage and family therapists, substance abuse coordinators to build Medicare. I mean, a lot of strides here. So 
We'll see what the comments look like in the fall, but I don't know. It was a good one. Putting their money where their mouth is. That's excellent. Dave, anything else we should make a marginal note on this week? I am just enjoying the hell out of this lawsuit that Kraft Heinz is filing against Aetna, basically saying that Aetna doesn't manage their claims with the same degree of precision and effort that it manages the claims at which it's at risk for. Talk about getting hoisted on your own petard and being caught in the hypocrisy of our current system. So I like ketchup. Go Kraft Heinz. You know, I hope you win this one. (laughs) Yeah, get out your popcorn. This is going to be a good show. That's great. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.